Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Thanks for joining me here on Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Another remarkable show we're going to have for you here on the program. As you know, since the start of the year, knowing that we have a new administration in the White House, and thus a what we believe is a much more beneficial opportunity to see legalization cross the finish line, the proverbial finish line that we talk about here on the program. As you know, I had focused quite a bit with a number of guests talking about several organizations that have come into the forefront with a number of uh, great companies that are behind them and a lot of really pillars of people that have been in the industry for, you know, since really for a long time that have come together and associated with themselves in order to go and further the cause of legalization. Uh, we walked, talked with one of them called CPAIR earlier this back in May here on the program. And now I'm going to join by another organization that I've been meaning to go ahead and bring on the program and the opportunity has brought itself. I'm here with the president and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council, which is an omnibus group that includes many of the largest industry players, namely a strategic alliance of 65 companies and nonprofits working in the licensed medical and adult use cannabis industry in the U.S. He's also executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project, the leading national organization's Advancing the Legalization of Cannabis for Adult Use and Medical Treatment. I'm here with Stephen Hawkins. Stephen, thank you for being with all of us. Really glad to have you on sooner than later. It's glad to be on, Jorge. It's an important conversation we're having. Absolutely. I want to take quite a bit of a story that came out from Law360.com. Um, I don't like the title of it. Pot Advocates Advise Careful to Rollout of Federal Legalization. So regardless, I'll give them a pass on using the word pot. We'd prefer cannabis, of course. Uh, right. I want to take from the story, and let me go and take a passage real quick from the story real quick for all of us to give some context of what we're going to talk about. Obviously, the bill that is front and center that we were hoping would be the legalization effort that we've been looking for. We're going to really break down what this act means and what we really look at it as a whole. A cross-section of cannabis advocacy and trade groups asked Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and other lawmakers working on a bill, which is the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, or CAOA, as we're going to refer to it for the rest of the show, that would end federal prohibition to preserve existing state regimes and ensure that federal regulation and taxation will not drive out smaller businesses or bolster the illicit market. To this end... Many of the groups suggested a a gradual rollout of a federal interstate cannabis market and the application of strong antitrust policies to prevent consolidation of the space in the hands of a few multi-state entities or big tobacco firms. So we can talk about alcohol and tobacco, which, you know, we know other organizations, which uh, also have included big tobacco and big alcohol as suitors that are part within their organization. So before we talk about the suggestions that the U.S. Cannabis Council has made publicly. Stephen, talk to me about the progress that's been made with the CAOA Act. What do you think about it so far and the incarnations we've had so far since it's passed or has made its way through the Senate? Well, the CAO Act is really, Jorge, the first, the first real comprehensive bill that's been introduced in Congress around cannabis legalization. And when I say comprehensive, they've tackled the regulatory issues, the tax issues, uh, and, you know, uh, and and have made a concerted effort to try to put something uh, soup to nuts on the table. And we certainly applaud all of the goodwill and the fact that, you know, the sponsors um, took on such a, you know, real Herculean task, right? Um, we we do see some changes that definitely need to be made in the bill, and I'm sure we'll we'll be getting in into that. Uh, certainly, one of those has to do with how how quickly this would would roll out if it were to pass. But but there are other 
there are other considerations that, that need to be addressed in this bill, certainly. And I think that's where, you know, since we started Cannabis Radio in 2015, we look at some of the bills that have been proposed and been put together, and we know that Senator Cory Booker had put together a comprehensive plan. We know that Cory Gardner and uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren had come together on a bipartisan effort, the States Act. We've leaked, we looked, the MORE Act, the States Act, we've seen all these, and it looks like the CAOA is kind of a, hopefully will be a compilation of some of the best of both of those proposals as well. Let's talk about what the USCC believes are should be critical changes that should be needed in order for the CAOA to achieve its long-term objectives of transitioning Americans away from the illicit market to a fully regulated national market that provides all, including but not limited to the following. And let me just preface by saying I do like a lot of the areas that you're covering here and because it is. I think you're in the same vein with me before I go and list what those are. I like where we're coming in the same context where it's recognition that needs to be understood. It's taking care of disenfranchisement and for those that have been wrongly accused and convicted. And there's a lot of different areas that I believe that this bill could definitely tackle, but we need to have ramifications. Let's talk about what you as the USEC have made a point. So the Tax and Trade Bureau at the Treasury Department should be the primarily primary, primary regulator of cannabis. The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, should set health and safety standards. That's Section A. Section B, the complexity of production and wide variety of cannabis products require a new model of taxation at rates that do not fuel the illicit market. B. C, before significantly changing the regulatory landscape, new rules should recognize state programs, account for current legal obstacles, and include a sufficient transition period after descheduling to ensure that regulators and businesses of all sizes particularly emerging and social equity businesses have the necessary time to adapt ahead of the onset of a national marketplace. So you know, you had said to yourself that the TTB should be, quote, the primary regulator of cannabis. The FDA should set health and safety standards. Now, any concern at all where if there's any kind of a transition, you see it from state to federal, the state, the, the state regulations that have already been put in place by states that already have it medically legal or adult use legal. Is there any change to that? Or is it just more of a national oversight or is it more of a national regulation? It's, it, it's definitely a national regulation uh, that, and, and, and just to back up and say why TTB over the federal Drug administ uh, uh, the Federal Drug Administration, the FDA. Uh, that that Jorge is a critical uh, distinction. You know, we certainly understand the FDA has a role in this space around um, consumer and product safety, making sure you know that ingredients are you know what they what what they claim and and so forth. But the actual um, labeling and and uh, primary jurisdiction should lot should lay with the Tax and Trade Bureau that that oversees alcohol and tobacco. Now um, it is a it, it is a far more natural fit. And you know TTB and FDA and Department of Agriculture they all work together all the time. But TTB would would be the the primary driver. So that's important for folks to understand. Uh, and, and yes, so, so it's very important, of course, that, you know, we don't have a hodgepodge where there are certain standards for safety of product in one state, maybe more relaxed in another, you know, that's where the feds come in and create a uniform standard. Um, important for the consumer to know that what they're getting in California is the same as what they're getting in New York in terms of, uh, uh, of health and safety. I don't think anybody has uh, a, a quarrel with that. What, what we are concerned with Jorge is what we've seen with the FDA with, um, with CBD, right? Where, where the agency can easily get bogged down and uh, that would be the kind of disruption uh, of the cannabis market that would just grind, grind everything to a halt 
and heard everyone. And, and that is the concern with, with sort of pushing jurisdiction to the FDA without uh, fully think, think, thinking this through. So I get where you're coming from. The, it's the it's the reactions of the FDA hemp bill implementation, which is exactly where I'm kind of concerned, where let the feds do the framework. Let the states implement this. And the other thing, I guess, would be, uh, which I don't know what's being brought in here, but, you know, if there is still a choice where some states would still like to be excluded from being a part of the legalization efforts. Do you feel like the CAOA should 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 enforce that the states mandate that they have legalization and descheduling in their state, or should it still be up to the states to choose that? Yeah, it, it'll end up being up to the states to, to choose it. I, I gotcha. think this Jorge would be exactly like alcohol, the end of alcohol prohibition. We, we just want the feds to and prohibition, uh, and then the states are going to make the, the decision whether to tax and, re and regulate in, in their jurisdictions. Well, we want standards and uniformity. That's what we want. We want to say, here's a right. blanket of, of compliance we want in every state that's going right. to go and participate. We want to have the standards be, I would like to prefer that the standards would be at a certain higher level than expected because, you know, it is to go ahead and, and create a higher quality so that the illicit market can't go ahead and, you know, take advantage of that. The taxation, again, making it at a level which is conducive to people going to the dispensaries and being able to go ahead and purchase or if they want to buy from other markets. And that's I agree with all that there. I would want to have it where, sure, health and safety standards, FDA, but, you know, for them to have that much control, you're, you're right. We're three years into the hemp bill implementation. We haven't gotten any farther. They continue to take comments from the public, but they have done nothing else since. And they and, that, and as a result, it's not so much illicit issues, but there's been no definitive, you know, clarification as to certain CBD products that go out there that can be put in a bodega or a convenience store or some other places that might have some high concentration. You know, I still have the great example where I had somebody that worked in the, the supplement business talking about, well, what part of the plant is that CBD coming from on the plant? Is it coming from the stem? Is it coming from the, the flower itself? The leaves or what? What kind of potency? What kind of feel is that? Those kind of questions need to be answered. There has to be some definitive. But the other thing I'll tell you, Steve, is that that's the direction. But even if it is the FDA handling health and safety or the TTB handling the other or part of the framework, I still want in the CAOA, I want a deadline locked in place as to when all this needs to be met so the implement so the implementation for the states you know under the new standards the new uniformity is set with a certain date give me january 1st 2022 2023 whatever it is but give me a date where we're all set and honestly we should have no we should have a short amount of a window because all the states pretty much have something set all we need is the blessing of the federal government and just back off Create the rules. Here's what we do for interstate commerce. Here's what we do for everybody else when it comes to disenfranchisement, opportunity zones. Lay the rules out and step back and let the states handle everything. That's at least where I'm coming from. What do you say? Well, you know, Jorge, either a deadline or let the states continue to do what they've been doing. Well, you know, I, I might add for, you know, the last decade in terms of... Yeah of overseeing health and safety measures, right? Um, and when the feds finally have a uniform standard ready, fine, roll it out then. But do not stop the states from engaging in the health and safety regulation, which, you know, they've been doing quite, quite well, uh, uh, you know, in, in this period. So that would be the other way, I think, to approach it. I would also preface, Please learn from Canada and their rollout and do not do what Canada did. <laughs> Just saying that is, was, is still not right over there. And I feel bad to our friends in the north that hopefully we hear that the America side of legalization will be a much smoother rollout altogether. I'm here with the president and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council and also executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project here on Blunt Business, Stephen Hawkins. We'll be back with more questions, including we're going to talk about now
uh, the power that the organizations are going to be given. We're going to go a little bit more in depth with that and talk about, you know, if the legalization comes in, what are some of the risks that be, could be made and that, that could happen? And some of the things we're having that are concerns as a, as a whole, we'll talk to Stephen about that after a short break. Stay with us. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The, the Green, Green Peak, Peak with Richard Zwicky. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm here with Stephen Hawkins, President and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council. And uh, If you want to go take a look at what they're doing right now, in terms of what the USCC or the U.S. Cannabis Council is all about, you can go to the website, uscannabiscouncil.org, O-R-G. Now, real quickly, let's go and move along to the story I brought up from Law360 about some of the things we have as concerns when it comes to the CAOA, or as I talked about it before the start of the show, the Cannabis Administration or an Opportunity Act. That is the bill, if you're already not aware, that Senators Schumer, Booker and Wyden have all proposed as part of the Senate Democratic Caucus to bring forward to the Senate as a bill that we hopefully will be passed. Senator Schumer has made it clear that regardless of how President Biden feels about the bill, that they're going to get it pushed out and passed one way or another. So there's obviously a real initiative, and I appreciate uh, Senator Schumer so far for having the change of heart when he felt how if cannabis legalization would be a threat or a risk and knowing how Colorado's implemented, how California and other states have implemented and being over a decade, even as you said, Stephen, how we've already had an implementation for a decade or more of states that have gone in and they've seen the revenue and they've seen, you know, any causes for concern be quelled as a result of this. That's why we can see larger states and we've seen what the rollout of has done for, most of the country that why not we get to a point where almost at 40 states i believe that already have some form of legalization already in it's just a matter of time not if but when so more from law 360 many advocacy groups can express concern that the caoa gives too much power to the u.s food and drug administration over approving cannabis products both those already on sale in states and those still to be developed and this could have detrimental effects for smaller businesses in particular so taking from where you said, Stephen, earlier on about the level of power the FDA could have. The CAOA proposed dividing federal oversight of the cannabis market between the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax Trade Bureau and the FDA with the former tasked with managing taxation and trade and the latter creating and enforcing standards for marketing cannabis products. Now, the Marijuana Policy Project, whom your executive director, has said that the FDA's role should be precisely defined and narrow in scope, end quote, and that it should not be the lead federal agency regulating the market. So we're talking a little bit already so far about federal and state oversight, uh, but I don't see anything at all yet about the descheduling part. I know that's what we're looking at right now. Is it really just the idea that, kind of what you were saying earlier, that if we see how t alcohol and tobacco have been regulated in the past, um, We'll take some of the framework that they've already had themselves put into place, but we don't want to have the same monopolies that alcohol or tobacco have. Is that kind of the same mindset? Well, I think that, you know, we we definitely want to ensure that that everyone has an opportunity to uh, 
you know, to be an entrepreneur in the space, right? To be able to, to grow their, their businesses. Um, the, the two, the, besides the FDA, the two other very critical parts of this bill that, that are, you know, uh, that if they're not addressed could jeopardize all the businesses that exist now. Uh, one is taxes, right? Where this bill, Jorge, proposes to really sort of borrow from the alcohol industry and impose a 25% tax at the, um, at the uh, uh, level of, of processing. Um, and then, but, but you add that 25% federal tax onto what is already a 25% state tax cumulative in a lot of places, then you are, then you have taxed the cannabis market uh, into extinction, basically, and existing businesses will, will just not survive. Uh, the second thing uh, to, to put on the table, and, and um, you've talked to it, is just when, when would this change happen in terms of interstate commerce and everything sort of, you know, doing away with not only uh, state borders, but also opening up what could be in imports and exports. And the, and the timing on that could be critical, right? It's, it's not, I, I certainly don't think it's gonna happen overnight. Um, I don't think it's gonna be a, a 10 year effort, but there has to be some reasonable period of, of uh, time. Um, and, and last thing I'll say, Honor Jorge, there, there are other things about this bill that, you know, I think the sponsors looked at the alcohol industry um, a lot in terms of frame framing this, but that doesn't necessarily work for us. So, so give me an example. There's bonding in alcohol that happens at the processing level, right? And all those folks are bonded. And then this bill proposes that there would be that kind of bonding for, for cannabis, right? Um, presumably either at the processing or the, or the, um, or the uh, grow, growing phase. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that when this bill passes uh, on day one, that every business <laughs> that's not bonded in the, in the country becomes illegal, right? And those are the kinds of things that still, you know, as they always say, Jorge, the, the devil is in the detail, right? And, and these are the things that, that we'd really need to make clear and understand um, be because, you know, there will be people within the federal government that are supportive and there will be people within layers of federal bureaucracy that aren't. And we wanna make sure that anybody who is a prohibitionist cannot use levers of power to stifle the industry, right? And that's and that's a real concern. Now, one of the things that, that I want to also ask about as well is my own concern when I've had from the beginning when I've had organizations. Now, most importantly, to make sure that we have these issues and a good understanding for the policymakers to make the right decision and not just say, oh, okay, we're going to just follow alcohol, same track. We need organizations like yours that have been put together and formed to get in the ears of these policymakers and be able to go ahead and influence, persuade, and manage expectations. Now, I asked the same thing from other organizations that have come on the show. Um, can you tell me what kind of level of communications you've had with DC with lawmakers, um, and what kind of a what can you tell me about the level of lobbying or persuasion that you're doing right now with DC? Is there any kind of money being passed along? Anything financial that might be uh, being offered to policymakers to have them listen to you in your organization? Um, let me put it in in terms of the longer term perspective, which I think the listeners will appreciate. Cause I was talking to somebody just the other day, Jorge, that was giving me the example of when they lobbied in Congress 12 years ago and they could barely get a meeting with an intern. Right. right. You know, you know, it was like cannabis. Are you crazy? You can't come in our office. Right. 
Um, that has certainly changed, right? We are, we, you know, at uh, one, you know, just a, our last board meeting, we had Senator Booker in to, to talk to the, the U.S. Cannabis Council's board. You know, we've met with nation's governors. Um, we've, we've met with a range of senators and, and the members of a, of a Congress. Um, and, you know, we, we right now, USCC, U.S. Cannabis Council probably has about 80% of the lobbying dollars that are being spent in Washington around, around our table. Um, and that's deliberate because we really wanted the whole purpose of USCC was really to bring together all of that kind of collective energy um, because it made no sense for us not to be united, right? Because this is a real moment to get uh, reform passed in, in, a, in a Congress. So um, there are events that we're doing uh, around town. You know, there's something later this week for for um, for Nadler, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, and so yeah, Jerry Nadler. So it's just an example, but um, but uh, it's just such a very different scene with many lawmakers, and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, more and more Republican law lawmakers are are at least wanting to, to listen. Um, and I suspect that that will continue uh, because what we know, Jorge, is that this is, this is a bipartisan issue with the, with the public, right? The, you know, the uh, public supports, you know, very few issues in the country gather almost 70% public support. I, I think the last national poll had cannabis at 69% across all political lines. And yeah. so this is a matter of the elected officials catching up uh, and that is beginning to happen. Um, as I think more and more people, and I think you, you made this point earlier, realize that, the, that you know, this is inevitable, right? You know, just Absolutely. the fact that we, we've had eight states in what the last six months legalized cannabis. So it, it is on a course for really I would not be surprised if half the country has fully legalized by the end of next year. So, yeah. uh, so, so this is getting the attention of Congress. And I think as long as we, um, through USCC, with the companies and the advocacy organizations like Marijuana Policy Project, as long as we stay unified and um, collectively are knocking on doors, um, we're, we're gonna get some someplace in terms of change. Agreed. Now, uh, I'm going to ask the same question I asked to one of the other organizations that have come together. Uh, I preface this, I, I, I honestly have repeated this so many times in this program. You could probably repeat it after me, audience. You've heard me say this. In 2020, just $4 million was spent on cannabis lobbying, lobbying according to Open Secrets. That's compared to $27 million that was spent by tobacco and roughly $30 million for the beer, wine, and liquor industry. Now, as you said, Stephen, obviously getting a meeting with policymakers now compared to before has definitely changed. There's obviously the economic turmoil that we're dealing with right now, which might not have been felt at the moment if you're following the stock market as we record. Obviously, we might have some issues by the time this, this show airs. We might have an issue. We might have tapering by the Federal Reserve. We might have issues where the S&P will have a correction. And the market already is starting to feel things from uh, the Chinese real estate uh, conglomerate. That took a hit and made the Dow go down as we went and recorded the show. It took the, the Dow down a good considerable amount, several percent. So the policymaker could see cannabis legalization as an economic windfall to help support and boost up the market in general, because we know there's a lot of markets and a lot of companies in the OTC that could go and get themselves, you know, sign up with the, with the New York Stock Exchange or go on the S&P 500 or whatever it might be, or the NASDAQ. And we can see more money being injected by investors, by those in the market, and saying, okay, you know, this is not just a fringe anymore. This is big business. Corporations will then inject so much money into what's going on with the cannabis, it will come right away. But do you feel like that with the level of money being spent, I don't know what the newest numbers are right now in lobbying this year, but do you feel like 
there's still going to be a need of some injection of capital into policymakers' pockets in order for legalization to happen? Or do you feel like the momentum that we have from Senator Booker and others is enough to get across the finish line? Well, look, I, I think that in Washington, obviously, you know, it's, it's very important to help your political friends, regardless of what the party is in terms of their campaigns and donations and all of that. That's how Washington works. Can we just um, not work with politicians but, at all? Can we just do without, please, <laughs> for the love of God? And we, you know, until we have like national campaign financing, this is the way it is, right? I know. But, but, but you raised the point, Jorge, the amount of money that, that we have compared to like, these other in industries. And, you know, this is our challenge, right? We are still fighting with one hand behind our back because we're locked out of banking, right? We are locked off, of, we're locked out of the stock market, right? And if those two things were to clear, you know, we <laughs> we would be spending as much as these other in, in industries. Um, so that's one of our challenges, right? We, we cannot tap the same resources um, but that's why it's so important coming out of this Congress that we, we even if the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act does not pass, we have to make sure that we get banking over the finish line um, so that institutions, financial in, in institutions can do financial services with the industry. So important for you know, um, equity operators, folks of color and, and, and women operators with, with um, you know, uh, that aren't like the biggest players. It's so important to be able to create those opportunities for bank loans and, and uh, everything else that, uh, that, uh, that comes with being part, part of the financial industry. Um, and then we also have to, have to continue to knock on the door and address taxation, right? You know, the fact that still cannabis businesses cannot deduct um, uh, in most instances their, their federal um, business expenses off of their federal tax taxes, I, I, sh I should say under 280E. Um, all, all of that still, it needs to be addressed even if we can't get a comprehensive bill through. I actually had another guest that I actually had on. We've talked about the fact that there's been not much of a, Clarification of 280E in the CAOA, we need to bring that up as well. Very important point to make. Yeah. So now another thing I mentioned before, and we've kind of talked about it, but I want to take some other organizations that have brought to light the issues of the warning that advocates had that a federal cannabis market could be quickly overtaken by existing multi-state cannabis operators or large corporations from the alcohol and tobacco industries. Along these lines, multiple groups suggested that legislators put legal barricades into the CAOA that would prevent big tobacco from getting a foothold in the industry once prohibition ends. Both the social equity-focused legalization think tank Parabola Center for Law and Policy and the anti-legalization group Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or SAM, found common ground on this point. The Parabola Center said in their comments, quote, we joined drug policy experts from across the political spectrum and strongly recommending that big tobacco companies be disqualified from participating in the cannabis industry. Some of these companies have a long and undeniable history of defrauding the public and causing devastating harm and millions of deaths. We're deeply concerned that they may be already designing a similar model for cannabis. So, Stephen, what do you think about this possibility of an uneven playing field for the plight of social equity and opportunity? The idea of also, you know, taking where some of the negativity that's come from these other organizations or these other industries coming in to take cannabis and changing up the initial intent. You know, we, my view, Jorge, is that we spend a lot of time speculating about what other industries are going to do. Um, I'm not sure where it gets us, right? I am focused in my job every single day, I am focused on getting a bill to the president's desk that he will sign, right? I am focused on making sure that we do not leave this session of Congress without a substantial reform for the cannabis in, in industry. That's my focus. Um, others may have time to 
speculate and you know and ideate sure it's overthinking yeah you know i you know we you know as my mother would say we will cross all those bridges when we get to them right but but first we gotta first we gotta have a bridge man and i don't see i don't see you know i'm I'm busy trying to build the bridge to the other side and make sure that this industry has banking, that businesses have the capacity to deduct business ex expenses. Um, and, you know, who, who else will want to participate in the industry um, is, is really still an open question, right? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's as cut and dry as, as some people would suggest, but again, that's speculation that that I that I don't have time to to, to spend in in my working day. I want to go and continue our conversation and go more into the area we haven't talked about yet uh, when it comes to decriminalization and descheduling, and taking some of those. Uh, and honestly, just taking the prohibition off the, the just repealing the prohibition, like we had of alcohol back in the nineteen twenties. Uh, Get, get back to or the 1930s get back to that once again and i want to talk about that with you and what's being done in the caoa that helps to address that again i'm here with stephen hawkins president and ceo of the u.s cannabis council executive director of the marijuana policy project here on button business back with final questions after a short break rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more blunt business Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Back with final questions with Stephen Hawkins, President and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council. Again, website, if you want to go and follow Stephen on Twitter, it's at Stephen W. Hawkins, S-T-E-V-E-N, and U.S. Cannabis Council on Twitter, it's U.S. Cannabis, C-N-C-L. Website is uscannabiscouncil.org.org. Now, First of all, I want to go ahead and talk about the fact that some of the areas we have not discussed yet is the areas of decriminalization, descheduling, social equity, inclusion, or DEI. When it comes down to it, I know that um, earlier this year you also had um, brought in uh, Tahir Johnson serving as director of social equity and inclusion because the mission within the USCC is achieving social justice and ensuring those impacted by cannabis prohibition have access within a legalized system. And furthering the mission, creating programs and content to address industry concerns surrounding social equity. So I appreciate that's also being addressed by U.S. Cannabis Council. That's, you know, obviously that's a concern that everybody has. Some people might, you know, it's the matter of it should be a priority nevertheless. Um, when it comes to what the CAOA, the bill being presented and proposed right now in Congress, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms under this bill will retain jurisdiction within the DOJ, Department of Justice, to investigate unlawful cannabis diversion, which is defined as a transportation, sale or possession of 10 pounds of cannabis that has not been taxed or in a jurisdiction where it is illegal. Now, I want to ask real quick, do you think that the bill, from what you've read about it, or, or if you've had a chance to read through, does it resolve the longstanding issues of decriminalization and descheduling uh, satisfactorily? I think it does with descheduling, right? By taking cannabis off of the schedule, um, the Controlled Substance Act schedule, um, that's clear. Uh, I would want to make sure the, you know, the I started my career, Jorge, as a civil rights attorney. I've worked on criminal justice reform over these 30 years. Uh, and what certainly concerns me is when I hear language like, you know, you know, federal, that, you know, federal oversight or, you know, examination on who might have 10 pounds of 
cannabis un, you know, un, unaccounted for. What I don't want to have happen is a whole nother class of federal crimes get created. Um, you know, or actually crimes being brought back to light because as you notice, uh, yeah. I was trying to say that now RICO lawsuits might come back into play in part of the cannabis industry where there's some whistleblowing, if you will, to bring back something that yeah. was used to intend to take down the, the mafia, or yeah. organized crime. Right, right. And and so we have to be, from an equity standpoint, we have to be very much on the lookout for any new class of crimes that that uh, get created. You know, there's lots of different ways that, that we can tackle, you know, issues around uh, diversion, right? But 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 what I want to certainly make sure does not happen is is we see this whole new what could potentially be on, on another class of uh, of uh, federal crimes that get codified and people go to jail and prison over. There's a whole lot that I'd love to see more included to talk about um, that I hope that things will help. You know, there's just so much that needs to be added to this bill. So many issues that we hope that can be added and included in this bill when it comes to, you know, Section 280E, the IRS code, or the Safe Banking Act ramifications and bringing, you know, proper uh, opportunities for banks and others to be able to do investments and for able to, you know, offer good payment processing, things like that. Um, all these things need to be brought on board and so when we talked before the break about, you know, some of the overthinking that some of the think tanks might have, I think it's still warranted in some cases. Sure, we can cross the bridge when we get to it. But once this first bridge, I feel like we got to make sure it's done right. And the same thing goes to make sure that the scheduling, the criminalization, the opportunities of disenfranchisement, the, you know, like organizations like Last Prisoner Project, being able to go ahead and release those that are incarcerated or wrongly convicted like all this needs to be encompassed encompassed into this one bill do you think we can get it done in one bill is that the intent do you think that's what we should be that's what you do you feel like uses uscc in general is that where they should be going uh the uscc wants to see victory in this congress if if it's possible to do it in one you know comprehensive bill uh then by all means, but if but if it will require us to look at um, getting certain things over the finish line, uh, then you know uh, we 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 certainly want to be supportive of of those efforts. Um, but right now, what is front and center is the CAO Act. Um, it really has not even been introduced yet as a bill, right? This was a discussion document. <laughs> We hopefully will see Jorge, the sponsors, um, and introduce a bill, um, you know, before the year is out. Um, and I imagine that that there will be start to be, you know, a level of conversation back and forth um, with the sponsors and their offices. I, I think Congress has been tied up with other I issues right now um, that have a lot of attention, but. Uh, but I know this is near and dear to Senators Schumer, Booker, and Wyden, and I and I would imagine we'll be having further dialogue on, on the bill. For me, in general, I just want to make sure that we have all these people. Just like the, there's just so much to be put in place, and I always think about well, how do the policy makers want to be played? Like we might as well just go ahead and stack as many things as possible because we know when they go through. Uh, reconciliation or they go through you know and they start discussing and the, you know they're on the floor they're debating what things might be taken out that we want to try to get as much as possible in and you know if there can be amendments that can be added to it after the fact there's very little I just feel like I want the you know it's the it's the even playing field is to make sure that you know nationwide it's just that the access the cannabis and what we can have is is overall going to be you're going to have the peace of mind that number one you're not going to be you know penalized you're not going to be punished for having cannabis possession if you're an adult and you're able to go ahead and, and consume it that you know that if you're a business you're going to be able to go ahead and run a business as you want be able to get the kind of loans or financial financial support that you need 
and the opportunities for jobs, the opportunity for investments are all there in the place. There's just so many things. So I am one of those overthinkers, by the way, Stephen, I will say that. But, you know, I could do that because I have this platform. But I'm hoping that organizations like yourself, I appreciate what U.S. Cannabis Council is doing. I appreciate the chance that you're getting into the ears of D.C., much like CPIR, much like the NCIA. I appreciate all organizations like yours for making the effort. And this is why I bring on bring on the show, because I want to make sure all this is, is encompassed. There's still time to go ahead and, you know, just like you said, you have the ear of Cory Booker and other policymakers. Let's get them to make sure that everything's included as much as possible. That's all I can ask on behalf of the Blunt Business Program. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk to me today. Hey, it's been my pleasure, Jorge. So real quickly, I know I've mentioned the website and other things. Uh, please take a minute to go and talk to our listeners about how they can be involved with U.S. Cannabis Council, what you're looking for, and how they should how they can also be involved. Uh, glad, glad you raised that, Jorge. We're about to launch with the Cannabis Voter Project uh, a digital campaign called um, Cannabis in Common because it really is in common uh, across the country. When we, we know that progressives, conservatives, whether you live in blue states, red states, cannabis is popular across the board. Um, we need to get all those voices heard. Um, as we talk about federal legalization and seeing changes in this Congress. So uh, I would ask the, um, the uh, listeners to uh, visit our website, uh, get, uh, be, be, uh, be looking out for uh, some of the brands that, that they like, um, you know, having uh, pl plugging into to this campaign. But I'm very excited about uh, building, I think, a larger you know, a larger consumer um, presence, right? That 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 speaks to representatives because you know Congress needs to to, to hear from not just folks like me, <laughs> but from the listeners and especially the listeners talking to their representatives back home. So, uh, so I so I'll fall in there, and uh, again, that campaign is about to roll out this fall. Also, along with USCannabisCouncil.org, I also want to make sure, obviously, we haven't talked much about your work with the MPP, the Marijuana Policy Project. Website is mpp.org. Make mention of that as well. Thank you. But, uh, you know, I really thank you for taking time out. And let's definitely keep the conversation going. Um, you know, if anything else comes up, hopefully we get some more news, a little more rustling from D.C. that, you know, the bill might be making some movement. And please keep us apprised. All right, we definitely will. All right, thank you, Stephen, so much for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Make sure to go ahead and uh, follow, like, share, subscribe. Make sure you go ahead and find the show. Catch it every week when we put it on here, wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Apple Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you find your podcast. Of course, CannabisRadio.com, where the show is always hosted and produced. And we'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. For maximum customer engagement and retention, choose CleverTap. CleverTap is a leading customer engagement and retention platform that helps digital brands maximize lifetime value. Over 8,000 apps around the world, including Vodafone, Star, and Sony, trust CleverTap to improve user engagement, boost retention, and fuel long-term revenue growth. Learn more at CleverTap.com. That's CleverTap.com. Miami is more than beaches, palm trees, and fun in the sun. It's home every year to the Miami Book Fair, celebrating its 39th year of hosting authors and readers from around the world, November 13th through the 20th. Join us in downtown Miami at the Wolfson campus of Miami Day College. Connect with over 500 authors reading from their books in English, Spanish, French, and Creole, answering questions and signing hard copies. The 2022 edition of the Miami Book Fair welcomes everyone of all ages to come together, meet, and make new friends, exchange ideas, and discover one's next favorite author. Let's explore, discover, and learn together. Featured authors will include award-winning novelists, Anthony Horowitz, Ben Mesrich, Craig Johnson, Danny Shapiro, Elena Shapiro, Jimmy Attenberg, poet Sandra Cisneros, and authors writing about the trending topics of the day. Lisa Genova, Jerry Stahl, Marie Brenner, Mark Kurlansky, Samantha Cole, Stacey Schiff, Katie Tour, and many others. For more information, please visit MiamiBookFair.com. Follow the fair at Miami Book Fair and join the conversation hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022. 